So in Glasgow today, I think there are two temptations for us politically. One is to be totally disengaged. I don't trust all these politicians. I don't like the way they're acting. They don't represent me. I'm out. I'm not even going to bother registering to vote. That's one temptation. The other temptation on the other side is, is to put all of our hope into some sort of political ideology. We, we think, oh, uh, what they're saying on the right, oh, that's, that's totally the way in which I, I, I want to go. The political right have got it right, and so I'm going to go that way. And I'm going to put all my hope for this nation in that political agenda. Or it's the other side. It's, oh, I'm going to go left, and, and it's all about remaining, and it's all about um, making sure that we pursue the welfare of the city, because isn't that what God calls us to? Oh, so therefore, I, I'm a leftist when it comes to policies, and, and so therefore, all my hope is in that political ideology. And actually, I think both are wrong. And that's what we're going to see today for 1 Peter. The aim this morning is to help us to think through a framework for how we think about politics, not to give you the answers to which party to vote for, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to give away anything from uh, my own political views. This is about establishing a framework that's going to help us think how do we engage with the issues of the day that will inform how we vote. So we'll take a look at 1 Peter 2, 1 through 17. It's going to guide us um, to see that no matter what the we think of the political current climate, God is calling us to be both set apart as God's people and sent as Glasgow's people. So we are both to be set apart as heavenly citizens and we are to engage in the thoughts and politics of the day. As Christians, we should be playing a unique and significant role in our society, including in politics. So, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to begin just by reading uh, verses 1 through… In fact, you know what? We're not going to go 1 through 17. We're going to begin in verse 9, okay? Um, as I'm preaching, maybe just have a little look at the context uh, from the verses before 1 through 8. But I'm going to start in verse 9, and I'm going to finish in verse 17, okay? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may, pr may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as, as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, 
you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We are set apart as God's people. Current political divides in the UK are running deeper than they have for decades. We all know that, don't we? In 2014, 45% of us voted to leave the UK and to form an independent Scotland. 55% of us voted to remain. In 2016, there was almost, sorry, almost 60%, is it? 62%, there you go, voted that we should, uh, we should uh, remain in, uh, in the EU. And, of course, 48% of us voted that we should leave. Politics is increasingly polarizing. Christmas uh, dinner conversation has always been interesting, hasn't it? Especially when Auntie Jeannie gets a few uh, drinks in her. And uh, Christmas conversation this year could get quite lively, right? It's been getting more lively the last few years. And you're thinking, oh, please don't talk about politics. Please don't talk about politics. Because we know it's so divisive. And people get really upset and really angry and really emotive. And it's not only in the UK, it's in the West in general. The culture is shifting in the midst of a seismic quake. In Italy, Germany, France, Austria, the US, Australia, and others, we're seeing a wave of what we're calling populist politics rise up both on the left and on the right. In many ways, it's taking place because people have found themselves discontent with the status quo, and so they're looking for a new type of revival, a secularist type of revival, not a Christian revival. Post-Christian people are not content with political compromise and nuance because they're putting their hope and the formation of a truly free society into political change. People feeling lost, feeling like society isn't what it should be, that frustration of, oh, this world is broken, why is it broken? We must see change. People are saying, oh, the solution is in politics this way or politics that way. On the left, the liberal progressives thought that freedom was coming that it was developing to all through equality agendas, environmental changes, increased welfare provision, tearing down the walls of nationalism. But what they hadn't anticipated was that there was a huge swathe of society that didn't agree with them, that found this not very progressive. And so, you know how it went, David Cameron made his deal with the rest of the Tory party, decide, right, to save the party, we need to put through this vote on whether we remain in the EU or we leave. Now, whether you think that freedom comes on the left or the right, 
the temptation is to think that the other side is out to steal your great vision for a better society, a better home for me and my family. Both sides dream of a new utopia, a kind of secularist heaven where they most feel at home. And they blame each other. It's no surprise, is it, that they blame each other when they're not getting their way. There's a huge investment. If someone disagrees with me, I I can't handle it because you're tearing apart my new religion, my secularist type of revival. Mark Sayers is an Australian pastor and sociologist. He said this, The world is becoming a construction site where walls, physical, cultural, and spiritual, are being simultaneously erected and torn down, all in an effort to keep the chaos at bay, to reach for the purity of a utopia, to find a sense of home and security. Their hope is in a sense of home. Did you hear that? In a new and better society. And so, when people directly challenge that, there is anger. But Christians are uniquely placed not to fall into that trap. We understand that freedom can only come through one person, and his name is Jesus. We are not home yet. Our citizenship is in heaven, and our hope is in God. Our passport cannot be lost or revoked. No one can make our citi- take our citizenship away from us. Our names are written on an unfading tattoo on the hands of God Himself. This is our identity. This is our sense of home being God's people, a people for His own possession, a people who set their hope in Christ and in His kingdom, not in political figures. Lindsay and I have been trying to sell our house in Poole and uh, and find a new one. We've had it on the market twice, and uh, it's been really frustrating for us because we've been praying, oh Lord, please help us to to sell this house and then find the home that you want us to find here in Glasgow. And there's this, there is this real frustration with not being in the home that you hope will be a, a, like a lifetime house. We moved to Glasgow and we're committed to what God is doing through Glasgow Grace. And so we want to live here in a lifetime home. We want to settle. And so when you're renting, there's a sense in which you're just like, oh, we're trying to make the best of this. We're trying to make this our home, but, but really it's not our home. And, and it's just, you know, there's a tension to it. If you're a Christian, that's what we're called to do here, to make a home here in rented accommodation until we reach our true lasting home in the final and the complete kingdom of God. We want to show people the kingdom of God by the way in which we establish home here because we are citizens of heaven now. But we have this tension going on as well because we're not satisfied with what we have on offer here. We know 
this true satisfaction, everlasting and complete satisfaction, won't come until we go home, truly home, home to be with our Lord. So here in 1 Peter 2, Peter is reminding persecuted believers scattered and seemingly powerless in isolated communities across what is now uh, modern-day Turkey, essentially eastern Turkey. And he is calling Christians to die to self and to submit to the way of the cross. And now that they have followed him to rejection and to a life of heavenly citizenship, it makes sense of this kind of rejection that they feel from the rest of society, this persecution that they're under, and it makes sense of the, the kind of weirdo status that they're given. But what he goes on to do in our passage is he's, he says, actually also what I, what I really want to remind you of is not only are you, are you strange and, and exiles who are not in your final home, you're in rented accommodation, but I also want to remind you of what is beyond the cross, what is beyond the way of following Christ by dying to self. What is beyond that? Well, it's a kingdom where light has overcome the darkness and righteousness is established instead of sin and division. Peter is teaching us that Jesus is the one the psalmist described all those hundreds of years earlier in Psalm 118, and we are the people who He has shined His light on. We are the lights in the world, because Jesus is the light of the world. This is what Psalm 118 is, says. Just, just think of some of this language and how it connects to what we just read. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteousness may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. And he has made his light shine on us. Before Jesus came into the world and was rejected, crucified, and raised to new life, the inapproachable light of God was exactly that. It was inapproachable. It dwelt within, he dwelt within the temple of God. The Spirit of God was dwelling in a place that was inaccessible to people. But now, Jesus the great high priest, the cornerstone, the ultimate sacrifice has saved us from the sin that separates us from God. The inapproachable light came near. He ripped that thick curtain in two and eventually the temple came down. And actually what really happened was the true temple came and he was raised up and then torn down, and then three days later, raised up again. We are different because Jesus has burst out of the grave to shine his light on us. We're set apart as his people. We are different, and we're called to embody heavenly citizenship, a godly society. We do not put all our hope in 
the issues of our day. We put our hope in King Jesus. So what motivates us in politics is not the belief that Corbyn, Johnson, Sturgeon, or anyone else can deliver any kind of utopia this side of Jesus' return. But to demonstrate Jesus' kingdom to a world that desperately needs to know that Jesus has made a way for them to also have a heavenly citizenship, citizenship, a hope that goes beyond this world. And that is why there are very few people who are following Jesus with all their heart who can actually find a major party that represents their view. They might represent some of their views, but you can guarantee they don't represent others. Do you feel that? Do you feel the, the dissatisfaction with these political agendas? Do you feel that there's only some things that you can agree with in certain parties? And in other, other parties, there's some things you can agree with there, but, but they don't, you don't agree with this or that. There's just this frustration that, that people don't represent us. And that's because your home is in heaven and your salvation is Jesus. Hope is not in the result of this general election. As important as that is, it is real. This will make a big difference to people's lives. It's real. But it's not the end. It's not the ultimate. The hope on offer from our politicians is of a, a revival without God, a new society without the king, and it will not match up in any way. But not only are we set apart as heavenly citizens of a new kingdom, we are sent as ambassadors of that kingdom into the society and culture to see the kingdom break out here. So as God's chosen people, He has very deliberately placed us where we are. Do you know that? You live in Glasgow, you go uh, to the job that you have, you go to university, you have the family that you have, because God has placed you in that family. God has placed you in that employer, uh, employment. God has placed you in that university or in that college. God has placed you where you live. God is sovereign. That means He is king over all things. And as part of that, we believe that where we are right now, even when it's hard and difficult and broken, God is giving us a place in which we can make a difference. He is giving us an opportunity to represent His kingdom to the people around us, to represent Christ, to show people there's a better way. Look at verse 9, it says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We are sat here today for a reason. And a part of what that means is to demonstrate heaven, and demonstrating heaven is to enter into politics, whether we like it or not, with all of its faults and limitations and its brokenness. If we want to make a difference in this culture and this society, we need to learn how to engage with the political conversation. Secondly, we are sent as God's people. We are sent by God. We're heavenly citizens 
to continue in the mission of Jesus. So I just want to highlight a few principles that we have here in 1 Peter 2 that I hope are going to help us to do just that, okay? So the first one is this, submit to authorities. Second one is do good. And the third one is respect everyone. So submit to the authorities. Peter urges believers, verses 13 and 14, to submit to the authorities for the Lord's sake. Romans 13 says that believers should pay their taxes, right? Pay what is is due to Caesar. Not accept if they say this or that, but no, you are to pay your taxes, do the things that you might not necessarily want to do in submitting to the authority of the land. So that is the first thing. We have to recognize that actually we are to submit to whoever is going to be our prime minister. Now, for some of us in this room, that is currently difficult. And for some of us in this room, it may continue to be currently difficult or it may change. And actually, it might, for some of you, you might be thinking, well, it's not too bad right now. Yeah, someone getting things done. But it's going to get difficult for you soon if it goes the way that you don't want it to go. But no matter what position you're in, the point Peter makes is, even if you don't like them, you've got to submit to them. Now, we, what we have to recognize here is, this is something much worse than Donald Trump. This is someone much worse that, that Peter is asking them to submit to. This is someone much worse than Boris Johnson. This is someone much worse than Jeremy Corbyn or, or Nicola Sturgeon. This is Nero. Now, Nero will eventually start killing Christians. Submit. Really? However, there is a however. There is a but. Submission is for the Lord's sake. So it does not mean that we don't campaign and raise awareness on issues where there is injustice. We pursue what is good. Nero began to put statues up and signs in public buildings, and if you didn't bow to him and say, Nero is Lord, that's what those signs said, then you could well find yourself being killed. And what did the Christians do? Well, they didn't bow the knee. Because the command here is to submit for the Lord's sake. For Jesus' sake. And so Jesus is our king. No one, no one else is our Lord over all things. We submit to the authorities he puts in place, but as soon as they start to contravene his lordship, then that is the moment in which we say, okay, I'm not going to bow my knee to Nero. The second one is this, do good, verse 15. It says, do good and you will silence foolish talk. There's been a lot of foolish talk, hasn't there, in the run-up to this general election, both sides. And to silence that talk, say you end up in a, a bit of a debate, it gets a bit raucous, then how do you silence it? By doing good. Some, some things people are saying are wildly misinformed, and it could be very easy for us to just get really upset at them. But actually, the response that Peter says 
here we should do is, is, is to do good. Reveal a better kingdom by the way you live your life and the issues that concern you. In a report by the Electoral Commission on Political Engagement in the UK, they said this. The most important factor in improving participation is persuading voters that the election and the political process more generally is relevant to them and that their vote matters. That is the responsibility of politicians, of all parties and at all levels of governance and arguably the media. For the Christian, I disagree. If you don't know Jesus, I get it. This is your motive. Your motive is self-interested. I get that. You're thinking about you and you're thinking about your family. But if you're a Christian, if you've committed to following the ways of Jesus, actually we've got to think about this differently. We are heavenly citizens and called the way of the kingdom of God. It is less of me, more of Christ. Less of the things that will make me happy, more of the things that will benefit the whole of society. One of the ways that we can do good, because it is an action, is to vote. So make sure you're registered. And to vote with others in mind. We are not being called to a type of freedom that says, hey, Jesus has saved me, so now I get to do whatever I want. And so when we come to vote, we should register. And actually, maybe we shouldn't bother registering because I'm not bothered. It doesn't affect me. I'm not bothered, so I'm not going to bother voting. That is not the kind of freedom we're talking about. Or maybe you start just thinking, well, what's going to benefit me? Who can I vote for that's going to make me rich? Who can I vote for that's going to give me more opportunities? But you're not thinking about the rest of society. That is not the kind of freedom that we are called to. In fact, Peter says that we are called to a freedom that is slavery. Huh? Perfect freedom is found in being enslaved to Christ. What are we free from? Sin. Darkness. And we've been set free from that into the light to be enslaved to Christ. Galatians says. And that is the most freeing place on the planet because you're then doing everything that you have been made to do. That is the type of freedom that we want. So when we're trying to work out who to vote for, you've got to ask yourself the question, how is my vote going to make a difference in other people's lives in this city and beyond? You can't make, miss the uh, people make Glasgow signs, can you? All over Glasgow. On the bikes, they're on big massive billboards, uh, they're even on the big old city of Glasgow College building that's imposing over the whole city from uh, the top of Cathedral Street. They're on t-shirts, they're everywhere. It's true. People do make Glasgow. I love the people of Glasgow. But when we say we love Glasgow and the Glasgow that its people have made, we must be very careful about what we mean. Sure, the brunch spots are magnificent. There are some really nice buildings. There are some glorious places to watch football, mostly in the East End. And there are lots of other good reasons to, uh, to enjoy 
Glasgow. However, when we say as Christians that we love Glasgow, we, I don't want us to be saying we love Glasgow and thinking of all these things. Because as Christians, we want to be concerned for the other, for our neighbor. We want to be concerned for Glasgow. And when we say that, we mean Glasgow's people. Our freedom has been won for us by Christ so that we can be enslaved to it and be like Him to others. We want to love like He has loved us. So not only are we citizens of heaven, but we are citizens of Glasgow, called to love Glasgow like God has loved us. That means going to the people. That means seeking out the lost, the broken, the hungry, those in pain, those who are captive to their thoughts, to abuse, to injustice. We are to seek them out, care, and be their voice. So as we enter political conversation, we need to hold intention, our passion for, for defending and, and being the voice of Glasgow's people. At the same time, as the truth that our hope is not even in that. Our hope is in something much greater to come. And so what does that leave us behaving like? Well, it means that we can enter the conversation with passion and love for other people. It means that we can represent others, not just ourselves, but it also means that it won't become something that overcomes us it won't be something that makes us so emotional that we can't even have a conversation with somebody who disagrees with us. Actually, we can have constructive conversations because we have this greater hope in Christ, a kingdom to come that is better. And so we can explain calmly. We can explain in a way that means that the issues we're talking about for right now, as important as they are, are not what defines us. It is the kingdom of God, it is Jesus, it is who we are in Him, it's our identity as His sons and daughters. Number three, we need to show proper respect to everyone, verse 17, and, and that's really what I've just been touching on, but guys, we saw on Wednesday that a, quite a derisive, I would say, and quite nasty amount of laughter from the crowd at both Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson during that debate, and uh, the same thing happened on Friday. My favorite moment of the whole debate, though, was when one member of the audience broke from the nasty laughter and said this, I think we should all do a little better at being kinder to each other in the political debate. And then he goes on to ask them, hey, what would you get each other for Christmas? I loved it. I wondered if he was a Christian. Fed up with all this arguing in, in a way that isn't constructive. So we're not working together. We should be able to disagree really well as Christians because our hope is in Christ, but we care about the issues today. I'm not going to tell you who I think you should vote for, partly because it's not straightforward. So if you're thinking, hey, as a Christian, it's really obvious who to vote for, I hate to say it, but you probably need to do a bit more reading. It's complex. It's not as easy as that. 
So if you're confused, can I urge you to seek out people who love Jesus and love this city, who know a bit about some of these issues. Don't just go online and find something that already agrees with the way in which you feel. But listen to multiple viewpoints. Weigh them up. Fact check. We are people of truth, not people who use some kind of statement from someone that agrees with our feelings and then just uses it to bash everyone. We want to truly find what we know to be true, to fact check. And then passionately engage with the conversation. Speak to people who work for the NHS or in education or runs their own business or receives benefits or has applied and has been refused from benefits or is working in the social work department. Speak to all these people and start to weigh up what you really think. Number four. I, didn't think, I don't think I said there was number four earlier. There's number four. Look out for one another. Look out for one another. Second half of verse 17. Love the family. We are more united as God's people than our political allegiance. Do not let your political hope trump your hope in Christ and splinter the church family. Our relational unity in Christ, despite our political difference and all our other differences, of which there may be many and should be many, does make life messy. But because Christ is our hope, because He is the one who brings unity to our worship and the way in which we do family life, we should be able to disagree and love one another well. Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Then I would add to that for today, application point here, okay? And we say that in Christ there is neither Brexit nor Remain, neither pro-independence nor pro-union, neither ideologically conservative nor ideologically liberal. Have those views. Talk about them. Work it out together, but love each other well. Be united in Christ. Listen, not all of our views are going to be represented by the right, the left, or even the candidates representing center politics, but do good and vote. Pray, discuss, research, weigh things up as someone who is set apart by God and sent as Glasgow's people, sent to Glasgow, and vote according to your conscience. That's all you can do. But whatever you do, please do vote. Keep your mind fixed on Jesus and the representation of his kingdom, a kingdom that will one day be complete, a kingdom where Jesus is our only hope and we find our true and lasting home and the one that we are guaranteed to enter. Let's be about the things that wipe away tears because that's what Jesus is going to do for us one day. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we, we recognize the complexity of the political situation in this country we recognize the importance of it and how it affects people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would 
Help us to engage in a way that represents your glorious, wonderful kingdom that will one day be fully here. Help us to be that change now that allows people to see more of who you are. And Lord, help us to be people who care about our neighbor and think about all of society and not just our wants and needs. Help us to be Christ-like. Help us to be people who take up our own crosses in the way even that we vote. And Lord, would our hope be set on you alone? Lord, help that to sink into our hearts this morning. Help us to know the glory and the love of our King. In Jesus' name.